another season of Watford football. Go on, you all. Hello, welcome to another uh, From the Rickham podcast of season eight. Uh, we have just walked our way from Vicarage Road to the Railway Arms pub for uh, a post-match uh, podcast recording and uh, it ended uh, Watford 3, Liverpool 3. My name's John, uh, with me is Jason. Hello there. Uh, and with his annual appearance uh, over from Denver, it's Paul. Good afternoon. So the game finishes 3-3. Jason, uh, the right result, the, the better than you, you'd hope? It, it's been a while since I've been in the Railway Arms and it's been a while since we've seen a game like that at Vicarage Road, I think. What a, what a game. I think it was a fair result. I thought we were the better team in the first half and certainly deserved to be, uh, to be in front at half-time. Liverpool looked much better second half. I think we were disrupted by the injury to Pereira. I think Akaka lost his way a little bit as well and it just seemed to knock us a bit. But set pieces are a great leveller, aren't they? And, and you can never know what's going to happen. And right at the end, we managed to nick a point, which we, yeah, I think we deserved it. If we hadn't got that point, Paul, would you have felt very disappointed or just a little bit disappointed? I think we definitely deserved something from the game, so I think I would have been very disappointed had we not done that, but it, it, it wasn't really a fluke. I thought what was really impressive about the team, the performance today, was that they kept going all the way through, and it, when that five minutes went up on the board, you felt that there was one last rally that was going to come, and there was potential that we could uh, get something out of the game. So. I'm glad we did, and it uh, was certainly a fair result on the balance of play. Yeah, we've just heard in the pub uh, Marco Silva's uh, post-match. Uh, yeah, he was happy with the, the way that we performed. And, uh, and our friend Kieran, who's on our WhatsApp group, he sort of said this time last year, or even any point last year, we would never have got that draw uh, in that position that we found ourselves in. But let's talk about the, 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 the game in terms of the players that were, were on the pitch. Start off, the lineup was... Let's start at the back. It's fantastic seeing Gomez uh, in goal. I don't think at this point with the, the, the goalkeepers who could challenge him, he was, he's going to be challenged quite yet. Maybe we get someone else in. But that back four for you, Paul, happy that with that back four and happy that it was a four at the back rather than the three from last year. Well, it's interesting to see a four at the back. It, it, it seemed like, seems like we've become used to having three and it's the, the three at the back system is one that, that I like. When it becomes a, a five, it can be a, a little dull and boring, but I, I like to see three centre-backs there moving around. Uh, Miguel Britos wears a Miguel, Miguel Britos shirt. I wear a Miguel Britos shirt. I was pleased to see his name uh, on the team sheet today. A little more surprised that uh, Proedel didn't get the nod instead of Kabul. Um, but then the fullbacks look like fullbacks. I think last season, the season before, we've seen fullbacks try to be wingbacks and, and fail somewhat miserably. Today, it looked like everyone uh, pretty much fit in their slot. Left-footed players were playing on the left, right-footed players were playing on the right. And certainly for that first half, they dealt with what little they had to. Uh, it was a little less composed, perhaps, in the second half. Uh, I will say one negative thing about Miguel Britos. His passes out to Holobas on the left-hand side 
were dreadful. See, I, I saw that, and I, there was a, a point to me, I don't know, it was a, it was a gesture that Holobast made, and I looked and went, now, is Britos doing a pass where he expects Holobast to be? And it's almost like Holobast turned around and said, no, I'm not doing that today. I'm actually going to be a bit further back. Um, there was definitely one pass he did. I thought, oh, maybe he's just doing the wrong type of pass because he's expecting Holobast to be a bit further up. Um, the one defensive player who went off early, again, is uh, Daryl Yammat. Um, but it was replaced by Kiko Firmina, who did a, a decent job, Jace. He did. I've mean, not had a chance to see him play in pre-season, but mates were telling me that he looked decent, he looked fast, and I think we saw that from him. And it was a difficult, difficult job, I think, one, coming into the game, and then you're up against such a strong attacking side like Liv Pilar for a, a fullback who perhaps has attacking tendencies yourself you, you've got to be careful not to be caught out not sure whether their third goal was him being out of position or not because it's going to come down that side um, but I certainly like what I saw and maybe when he's playing on the right hand side with someone else in front of him and not Amrabat then uh, we might see a, a good partnership develop um, and, a, and a Watford could be a good threat from down that right hand side. I think the best thing I liked about it and you said this well Jason uh, was those two in the middle with Nathaniel, return of Nathaniel uh, and also uh, Decore continuing where he finished off last season. Yeah there were, there were a couple of things I really liked about those two in front they were really compact, really tight, made it difficult for Liverpool, pressed and pressed really hard sort of really didn't give them any time but also when they were pressing and we won the ball back, they were very good at finding quick options. They didn't sort of slow the game down straight away. If we had options available, we'd move the ball quickly and it seemed to start from those two. Quick interchanges of passes and get the ball wide into attacking positions. And they made the right decisions as well because when those options weren't on, they did then sort of slow it down a bit, find a bit of space. And, and, it, and it just seemed to work really well and it looks really promising, I think, for this season. Everybody's in front of them official return and all the paperwork's now done so he's now what for player again I think when I saw him on the on the list rather than say Hughes being in that position you go it's a little bit more of a sensible thing to do definitely on a first game of the season but him just being that slightly wiser player in front of those two yeah I think what the question mark is still around who the three will be behind the lone striker um, and obviously players have come in that could fill, fill those roles there may be more to come it's certainly an area that was weak during pre-season so I, th I think there are still questions that need to be an uh, asked and answered there uh, I agree with JC the energy and the uh, application that came from the two uh, the two holding players was, was great and, and uh, to an extent cleverly played sort of his, his part as, as part of a three and really holding down the center uh, and, and ran around and provided an awful lot of energy in an outlet as well. So I think they played together really well. So I don't know whether it was a question of uh, being a safe option or, or whether they wanted to put in uh, someone that was going to give that 100% that effort to counteract the pressing that we expected from Liverpool. Will Hughes would be the man to sort of uh, like for like in for, for Cleverly. And there's always that thing, first game of the season, you want to see all the new people. Put all the new people on, get them on the pitch. And he's the only one we, we sort of didn't get to see. But people were complaining a little bit, I see, on, on social media that Cleverly wasn't in the right position. But like you say, he was... He, he, he matched, let's say, those two boys behind him. The three behind the lone striker. Which way do you want to start? The positive or the negative, Jason? Um, let, let's, let's get Nordin out of the way, shall we? And, and this is... I, 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 I really mean this. This is the last time we're going to talk about Nordin Amrabat 
in this way. Unless he gets better, you really hope he doesn't make it onto the team and he'll be leaving the, the side. But the frustration we had with him in the second half of the season is still there. It is, and, he, and there were some good bits. It wasn't all completely negative. There were some occasional moments of brilliance. Um, but he just struggled, and it was the thing that bugged me was that he had opportunities to get crosses into the box. And we were getting players in the box, so Akaka or Gray were in there. Cleverly was in there supporting. Chalaba was given a bit of licence to roam and pushing further forwards, and Pereira was coming in from the inside um, and getting into the box. So we weren't sure of people to cross to. But he would pause, he'd wait, and then ultimately he'd end up playing himself into trouble. And, and it just seemed to be a sort of rinse and repeat every time. And it, particularly as we seem to be singling out Moreno as their weak link and trying to get the ball in sort of behind him as, as much as possible. And it, that was sort of wasted a bit with the way Amrabat was applying himself, unfortunately. Pereira was exactly what we wanted to be. There was that little run in the first half where he sort of left, weaved left and right in the, uh, in, in the box. But it, the worry is he's gone off with a, bank with a groin injury, which isn't the same injury he's had before, which is a good thing. As Jay said earlier, the game changed quite, I think, mentally for Watford when he went off. Yeah, I don't think he truly stamped his authority on the game. I think there's much more to come there. It was an encouraging reintroduction to the, to the side for him, and I think, but I think there's a lot more to come. Um, I think when uh, Brazilian Ricky came on, he impressed immediately and then perhaps faded a little bit um, after Gray came on and, and sort of stole the spotlight a little bit, or at least stole the expectation from the crowd. But I think Pereira, it was a good start. Hopefully the injury isn't that that uh, serious and we'll see him back again but as I said before the, you know I think there are, there are places up for grabs in that uh, that row of three behind the striker and uh, hopefully he'll come good and fill one of them. I thought he was calling Ricky from Rio. <laughs> I love it, alliteration. Ricky, Ricky from Rio, he was exactly what I think I expect him to be. Interesting, pacey, having a go but just seemed a little bit hard to get into the, uh, into the game. I think it, it was I mean, he got the ball quite early on and sort of drove at the Liverpool defence, which is what you want to see him do, sort of coming in from that left-hand wing. And the other thing that I really liked, I talked about Pereira sort of being given licence to get into the box with Richardson doing the same, and he could have won it right at the end there with that header when he got injured. And he is quite tall. And when you think of a, of a tricky Brazilian, you don't think of a big fellow in the box, do you? But it looks like he could have that about him as well. So I... Really, really sort of promising. I'm really sort of keen to see him maximise that side of, his, side of his game as well as uh, his quick feet and his pace. The injuries that we, we had with Yamma and, and also Pereira, it, it felt to me that the, the, the order would have been, let's say, with the substitutions. Pereira would have gone off, I think, for uh, Richarlson, but it might not have been until 10 minutes to go. And uh, Andre Gray would have come on a little bit earlier. But it, it, it sort of didn't quite work out as would have been and I think I'm going to lead this game, Paul, thinking what could have been if we hadn't had those injuries. Yeah, well, clearly the substitutions, or two of them, were driven by the, by the injuries. The, uh, the third one, the, the, the swap of uh, Okaka for, uh, for Gray, or the other way around, uh, was, was through choice, I believe. But uh, and then shortly after that, there were injuries to both uh, Kabul and Britos that uh, perhaps made uh, 
Silva worry about whether he'd actually done the right thing. I think there is more to come from, from this squad. We haven't talked about Okaka yet. I would say it was a, a very Okaka performance. There were, there were moments of baffling, bewildering brilliance. It seemed to me to get fouled an awful lot and get absolutely nothing from Mr. Taylor. But every time he so much as looked at one of the Liverpool defenders, uh, he was called up for it. Uh, but I would also say on the plus side, he did not get booked for berating the referee at every potential opportunity to do so. And I would also like to say that Jose Holobas did not get booked today, despite being up against PC wingers. We've seen a lot of growth in our uh, Jose over the last uh, two years, and he, uh, he sort of seemed to calm down. Still wish he would have got that record last year about the number of yellow cards, but you know we'll let that go. Work harder this time, Jose. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Another season, uh, no Michael Parkinson today because, as you know, Mike's not here and Arlo's on holiday with him. But we continue to test your what for knowledge uh, with our feature, Going for Golden. Hello and welcome to another Going for Golden, your chance to show off your Watford FC knowledge. Remember, you can buzz in whenever you like by pressing the pause button on the device you're listening on. If you're right, you gain the last score set. If you're wrong, then you can continue to play along, but your score won't count. We have five clues, and with each, you should find it easier to guess the answer. So let's play! Going for five points, my middle name is Colin. For four points, my first four clubs were Chelsea, Manchester United, AC Milan and Paris Saint-Germain. For three points. My last four clubs were Wickham, Hibs, Millwall and Leighton Orient. For two points. I have over 80 caps and was once sent off in a World Cup. And for one point, I was assistant manager during Viali's spell at Watford. Yeah, the answer to that uh, will be at the end of the podcast, uh, so keep listening. I've uh, also an interview with Sarah Priestley from Watford Museum about the Graham Taylor exhibition. But before the game, uh, I actually caught up with uh, David Butler, who's the chairman of the Watford Enables Committee, who represent all the disabled Watford fans, about what's going on and some of the criticism that Watford have been coming under in their provision for disabled fans. There is one area where we, we don't meet the requirements and I want people to understand that because we're going to, at the end of August, we're going to have a lot of criticism, I believe. But it's only one aspect, which is the aspect concerning the number of wheelchairs. How many wheelchairs can we fit? This year, before the start of the season, we had 61 places available for wheelchairs. The maximum number of wheelchairs we've ever had in the ground is 58. So we were already meeting demand. And my group enables have been promoting other people, disabled people, to come to the ground and enjoy the, you know, the great football we have here and the atmosphere as well. The accessible stadia guidelines for the capacity of the stadium states that we need 150 wheelchair spaces. Well, we've agreed with Watford management, have been incredibly um, supportive, never mentioned budget, never mentioned cost, We've now got 100 wheelchair spaces with an assistant alongside. To put another 50 in to meet the requirements, we would have to take out between seven and 800 season ticket seats because 75% of all 
ambulance and wheelchair spaces have to be elevated. So you can understand the slope required to get a wheelchair in place. Well, looking at the new space at the bottom of the rookery, it seems like they've had to take away two rows of oh, absolutely. seats to make that. Yeah, normally you take out three rows of seats because the wheelchairs have to be, have to be able to pass each other. They have to be able to turn round. And of course, in a lot of areas, you also have to have lifts to get people to the toilets and, and to the exit, of course. But we've met every requirement. The away fans, by the way, we meet every accessible guideline there is. So we're very proud of that. And ambulant disabled folks, I believe, is going to be the demand in the future. My, my latest three enabled members were 71, 82 and 84. You know, with an ageing population, that's exactly where the demand is going to come from. Watford, again, we need 150 spaces. We've got 178. So, we, you know, we're really meeting the requirements. Our sensory room is the only one now in the Premier League. Only half of the clubs in the Premier League have a changing facility. So when you look around about what, what Watford have actually done, they should be very proud of the, um, of the changes they've made and the support they're giving disabled people. Watford have always been, I mean, I've been coming here for 30, 40 years. It's always been known as a family-friendly club. And I believe it's also um, a, a disabled-friendly club. My concern with being forced to put another 50 places in for wheelchairs is that those supporters in season ticket seats, they might have had cherished seats for years, are going to be moved out and they will then come back into the stadium to see those areas empty. That was my thing. Scott always said that when demand for tickets got so high, he would develop the what was the old East stand, and he did when demand got exactly. to a certain level, and you know, the demand got even higher. So he's put those extra seats in and done the corner. So when there's a demand, things have always happened, and I'm sure if there was a demand for, for into the wheelchairs, then things would 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 happen, wouldn't they? Well, I, I told the Equality Commission when they were here, and there were directors in the Watford directors in the room that. If there was a demand for 160 wheelchairs, then I would be banging on their door asking for them to be put in place to, to meet the demand. But there isn't that demand. You can't mix able-bodied folks with ambulance or, or, or wheelchairs, simply because when the exciting bits come, they all jump up and the sight lines have disappeared and they're the exciting bits you, you want to see. So that's why you can't mix them. So even flexible seating, and a lot of people say that's the answer, it isn't, because it, you can only replace about a quarter of the seats you've lost uh, for, because of the sight lines and, and the access to those areas. My concern about the antagonism towards disabled folks, if people are unnecessarily moved out, is very justified. Um, the scope uh, report recently said that over 60% of disabled people at football matches have been abused in one way or another uh, and that's totally unacceptable and, and, and I don't think looking at the people at Watford here you, would, you wouldn't get that attitude but, but why take a risk why have the antagonism and moving people totally unnecessarily so I hope when the report comes out at the end of August from the Equality Commission who would have investigated every Premier Club by then that they take a very balanced common sense view that, that we've done the right thing here. In fact, we've done more than the right thing if they compare us with other clubs. If I was a disabled Watford fan, what are all the different things that are around the ground that the average fan just might not notice? They probably will notice now because there are platforms for folks with mobility 
difficulties. There are new wheelchair platforms. There are new uh, lifts in place. I don't think they're in any way of, um, obstructive in views or anything else. And I, and I think most people, because 400 people have been moved out of the Watford to make these arrangements, and most of them said, yeah, it's the right thing to do. And so they, the, the fans took a very, I think, very common sense and very balanced view. To go beyond that unnecessarily is just daft, frankly. <laughs> At the moment, uh, over the two years I've been chairman of Enables, We've increased from 30 members to 152 as today. Um, and I believe we now represent, because a lot of them are assistants, um, I think we represent the majority of the disabled people. But I would like more members. It's free of charge. Just look on the website. It's www.wfcenables.co.uk. Just send an email in and we'll add you to the list. And then you get all the updates about what we're doing. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. On our Twitter feed, uh, at Watford Podcast, uh, we asked new boy Andre Gray, used to be a scummer, um, but when will he be all right? Is it now, after he's played, after he's scored, uh, or never? Because you can never let certain things like that go as a football fan. Uh, the answer was 54% of you said he's all right now. Uh, 36% said he had to wait until he, he scored. But the thing for me is, scummer or not, former scummer or not, £18 million on one player, Paul. That's, that's just not Watford. Well, it is now. And uh, apparently you could get free uh, shirt printing with his name uh, in the Hornet shop today. So uh, apparently it's a big deal. I think it's, it's probably a good signing for us. He's clearly got the Premier League uh, pedigree. He can score in this league. He's shown that. And taking away from Burnley certainly helps us as well. So it's probably a good signing for us. Time will tell. Uh, I, th I think the fact that he used to play for Luton is probably not the only skeleton in his closet. Um, so, uh, so time will tell both on the field and off, I think. 18, Jason. Can you justify in any shape or form 18 million pounds for a striker who was in his last year of his contract? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if justify is the right word, but I could try and explain it. Yeah, go on then. So, uh, the nine million he's went to Burnley for. So yeah, so already Burnley will want to look for a profit on that. Um, Paul's already said they are a rival. Uh, there's a good possibility we could both be in a relegation scrap. So for them to sell us their best player that's going to push the value up a bit he's English so he's in the homegrown bracket he has a year of Premier League experience and scored goals in a in a team that was yeah a bit like us last year in the lower reaches of the Premier League so it all sort of adds up um, and with the yeah with the market today in fact it's quite well known we're looking for a striker as well Silver wants that sort of pacey striker that we didn't have so again Burnley knowing that they could afford to up the uh, up the ante a bit and make us pay a bit more so yeah in, in today's market you can see why it's gone up to a possible 18 and a half million if that is the correct figure in some ways could you view it as a bargain if he scores goals and we stay up and earn another 190 million whatever it is then yeah he's a bargain <laughs> another way to look at it is how how are Burnley going to replace him right if they find another pacey striker that can score in this league will they get him for less than 18 and a half million I would say in the current market probably not we spent over fifty million pounds in the transfer, this current transfer window. That's crazy. Thinking back to how much money we spent when we first started this podcast eight seasons ago, it's like unthinkable. Why do we have to spend that much money? Is it too much? 
It's a free market, John. <laughs> it's self-perpetuating, isn't it? I'd, I'd mentioned the 198 million or whatever that figure is. It just seems to go up and up and up. And like I said, clubs know that that money's there to be spent. So the, the selling clubs will just up the price of the players they're trying to sell. It is just, it's not quite wooden dollars, but with the money that sort of gets moved around, it almost feels like that sometimes. You think, yeah, clubs have got this big bucket of cash. They will have a transfer budget. They know they're never going to use that money for anything else other than buying players. Go and spend it. And if, it, and if that bucket has got 50 million quid in it, it's got 50 million quid in it. So what? The club aren't in massive amounts of debt. And if they stay up, they'll have another bucket which might have 70 million in it to spend on players next year. What's even more crazy is that teams in the championship are spending 14 and 15 million pounds on strikers. So for, for us, with, with the TV money for being in the Premier League, to spend maybe 18 on, on a striker seems perfectly reasonable in the current uh, climate. With the, you know, I, I sort of jokingly said, is it, is it worth 18 million? But do you think we spent that 15 million wisely? I mean, the window's not shut yet. We can't evaluate the, the entire window with ins and outs. But so far, do you feel that there's been... Why, yeah, well spent, Paul. Well, the Denver Hornets got together uh, only last Sunday, so uh, less than a week ago, and uh, I, I did my very best Undertaker David Levy impression uh, and predicted that with the squad that we had before we picked up uh, Rio, Ricky and Gray, uh, that we would struggle this season and that we would finish somewhere near, the, near to or in the relegation zone. And so it's absolutely necessary that we spend money if we, if we don't. You know, it's a, it's a league of, of several sub-leagues and we're in that you know, roughly half of the table that is, is fighting to, to avoid relegation and to stay up. So we need to, it's an arms race. We need to compete with everybody else. We need to strengthen in certain areas of the team. I, I didn't see where the goals were going to be coming from in this squad. Um, clearly that's been addressed and, uh, you know, it, it costs money and that's what, uh, what the market demands now. If you had to say, after one game, Jason, you can be, we're never going to hold you to this. Which player of the new ones that we've seen so far, Seven Barr, Will Hughes and Bartman Turner Overdrive, who is going to be have the biggest impact on Watford this year? I think it could be Ricky Rio or Rio Ricky whatever we're going to call him now. Ricky from Rio. I, I, just for the things I mentioned before I just think he's not just a skillful Brazilian I think there could be a lot more about him I've already mentioned the fact that he's big and looks like he get up in the box get the heads in defensively he looks good as well he, he was tracking back making tackles getting stuck in he looks he does look like he could be exactly the sort of player that Silva wants hard working but quick on the counter and able to contribute to all aspects of the game I'm, I am very excited about him John Do you agree or is there someone else that's going to be the star new player for Watford? I'm certainly excited about Ricky from Rio but um, I, I'm going to reverse myself on uh, Nathaniel Chalabar I thought he was excellent today I thought he really ran that midfield and was at least in the first half you know, the, the difference between the two teams or a big piece of that. I, I saw a couple of the preseason games. I was not impressed. I thought, I know a lot of people were welcoming him back because of his first spell here, the loan spell. Uh, we got him for not very much money. People thought it was a great deal. I was not convinced, but today he proved me wrong. And uh, I, I think if he continues to, to show that kind of form and that kind of energy and that kind of application for the entire season, it'll be a great base for the rest of the team to, to build upon.
last week at uh, Watford Museum on the Lower High Street uh, has been a special exhibition for Graham Taylor. Uh, and this week I went and uh, went to there to speak to museum curator uh, Sarah Priestley uh, to find out a bit more about how it came about. So Sarah, uh, we, we can sort of guess why this has come about due to uh, Graham's uh, sad passing. But how did it sort of, how did you get it to, to happen in such a what was, must be a short space of time? As soon as it happened, it was really sad, but people were very keen on us doing an exhibition and people kept asking because they remembered when we did the Golden Years exhibitions and people were saying, well, are you going to do something? What are you going to do? Um, but we wanted to fit in with the club and especially with the family as well. So that's why it was a really good time to coincide it with the memorial match. It means it hasn't been on for a long period of time, but it was the right time. To, to have it on but we're really pleased because we've spoken to the family and Rita's agreed that we'll do the whole exhibition again next year. Uh, were, were there items that you were sort of uh, surprised at getting or almost like delighted at getting that you, you, you didn't think you'd be able to get for the exhibition? I'd say almost all of it because <laughs> so, originally what we wanted to do was to get the permission of the family and we hadn't assumed how much they would wish to be involved. We've not wanted to push because I think it's really lovely, the outpouring of love for Graham, but at the same time, that's quite overwhelming, I'm sure, for a family. And as, as she said, you know, he was, he was their family first. So it was absolutely incredible. Rita contacted us and said, oh, I've got some things you might want to put in the exhibition. And then when it turned out what it was, it has basically been most of the exhibition we have got some of our own items on display some things from the club some from a few fans but really we didn't need to put a call out because this has become Graham's whole football career and no one else could have told the story in the way that the family have and so it's so personal and it, it was for them too which is amazing did you wonder was he, was he the one who who kept all these things or do you think Rita is the one who sort of kept them all definitely get the impression it was him <laughs> so but of course she was always part of things um and it's really lovely because there's a plaque just next to us where it actually thanked Rita as well, well as Graham because she was always with him with everything she participated so much but yeah this is this is his career but she was obviously so proud and there's so many lovely memories um, but to include things like the OBE I just couldn't believe it I'd never even seen an OBE before um, and then we we nicked the photo off the shelf of we, we did ask um, of Graham <laughs> and Rita at the Buckingham Palace with it and and things like the um London Marathon Medal yeah. from 1983. They're just so amazing because they're all stories that we know about, but it's telling it from a completely personal angle. You know, to those trophies, the medals, the coaching certificates and licenses, it's mm. just unbelievable. So for us, I mean, you can imagine it's been incredibly emotional um, and just absolutely overwhelming to, to be able to, to even just be allowed to hold those objects mm. with white gloves. On a, a promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a favourite object you think you've, you've seen so far? I have to say the the marathon medal is really lovely because I sit in the family stand and the whole history of that goes back to to those things. But I have to say some of the things that I really love are like the Lincoln stuff because it isn't just about his Watford career. So I do think that's quite fun. So so for me, some of those things and some of the like really big trophies and some of the really small ones, the cocktail shaker for from a promotion that he got given. And you just think nowadays you wouldn't get 
sort of drink related things or smoking related things but in those days it was all decanters and but a cocktail shaker that just sounds seems amazing when you see like on sky sports news where they have the here's the manager of the month yeah you look at some of the things they give away you think are you really going to put that on your trophies are going to stick around <laughs> but a cocktail shaker you'd use that for the rest of your life <laughs> well and of course graham did keep all of those um, plates and things you can see them all around and the Bell's whiskey that mm. was actually one of the ones that he got presented when he was Lincoln manager and that's his daughter's that's Karen's one so because there were different family members had different one I think the first time he won it at each club he'd share it right, okay. and then he'd keep the others so Ollie was telling me the, the lead, again this one of these things which you know might be true or not that the first one he won at Watford he he shared out was it eight, it's eight pints whiskey i don't actually know that okay. i should know that shouldn't i um it looks about eight points and he, yeah, he, he shared he it out and they did yeah. they drank it all on the way back from one away game <laughs> i wouldn't like to quote, quote him on that but um yeah they he definitely shared them out and that was the kind of person he was as well but what i love i mean there's a few things that have really found really emotional because it showed how much it all meant to him you've got those really big trophies and really lovely medals but there's things like there's a scrapbook it was presented to him when he retired and it was from the Balmoral Centre which is an a centre for adults with learning disabilities so he kept things like that and and shirts it was signed by fans and you know just really lovely things like that you just think that's fantastic isn't it it meant something to him it wasn't you know it's not just the big flash awards it's the the small stuff it, it, it really felt it personally so that i love as well uh, and when say so, so by the time this podcast goes out the exhibition be finished but when are you thinking it's likely to come back we're likely to be in january which of course coincides with with this really sad anniversary but I think um, it will certainly be an early part of 2018 and then we'll also be having an exhibition for um, the history of the trust which is perfect timing you know to coincide those because of course he was the you know the the father of the trust with those things so we're working with the trust on a lottery funded project so there's been a lot of research done so that's going to be really amazing to see some of the stories and 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 see that on display so it'll fit in so you have one and then the other so it'll probably be graham first then the trust exhibition so look out for it in january sort of february time for, for all of this happening uh, if you want to find out more about when the exhibition will be back on again, the best thing to do is to follow Watford Museum on Facebook. Um, they put lots of information about all the exhibitions that they do, uh, but particularly that one uh, and the Trust uh, exhibition that they talked about. Uh, make sure you follow them on uh, social media, uh, facebook.com, uh, and search for Watford Museum. A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. Uh, so the answer to this week's Going for Golden. Going So who is the answer to this week's Going for Golden? It's Ray Wilkins. Going for Game two, Paul away, Bournemouth. They spent a lot of money on Nathan Aki for at least three times more than we spent on Nathaniel Chalaba. Will you be happy with a, another draw or do you think actually you saw enough today to go, no, this team is probably ready to go and challenge Bournemouth? Well, the most important thing about game two is that I will still be in the country and no, I don't have a ticket. So uh, <laughs> if anyone listening to this has a spare ticket, then please reach out and let me know. I think Aki's a decent signing. I mean, the, the 20 million? The, the money is eye-watering, I have to say. But I think Jermaine Defoe is going to score goals for them as well. So I, I don't think they're going to struggle. I expect we'll draw there because we always do. Uh, but I think this season it'll actually be a good result. 
Ake was such a big player for them last season. He started at Bournemouth. They started well. He got recalled to Chelsea and they had a bit of a mini collapse and it's only when Eddie Howe got them going again towards the end of the season that they got out of trouble. That adds to the amount of money they would be prepared to spend on him because they know how good he has been for them as a club. Um, and how important he was for them last season. But I think they got half a good season off him, and I think we got half a good season off him. I wasn't quite sure he was a £20 million player quite yet. The next uh, home game for Watford is uh, Tuesday the 22nd. We're playing at home, definitely at home, uh, to uh, Bristol City in the League Cup. The mix-up was quite funny, and I did like uh, Watford Gazette. If you aren't following them on, uh, on Twitter, please do. Um, sort of... Uh, taking the mickey out of some of the, the things that happened and uh, they, did, they did say, and I think fairly, uh, that the game should and uh, take place between junctions 13 and 14 of the M4 and we should shut the whole thing down for, uh, for 90 minutes and play the game right there in the middle of the M M4. Uh, Jason, is, is a, I, I'm, I'm saying we need a good, solid League Cup run, not with playing kids, playing a, a, with only a few changes. I want to see a good Watford attempt at these these and and use it not to develop young players to develop this team. Well, I mean, yeah. Look at the bench. The bench today was even stronger than we've had for for even the last couple of Premier League seasons. Um, we'll be able to give Etienne Kapua a run out. It'll be great. <laughs> Paul, uh, that going to be an easy game, or do you think? Do you think a, a team like Bristol looking at Watford, thinking you're Premier League, you're you're a big team now, or do they just still see us? I see us as that little Premier League team. Well, I've gone home by then, so uh, keep, keep your offers of available tickets to yourselves for that one. As always, the lower league club will see it as an opportunity to do a, a, a giant killing, and, and based on prior years' experience, they have every reason to ex suspect that we will put out a weakened team and, and lose playing a horrible game of, of mediocrity. Let's, let's hope we don't do that this, this season. There's, there's plenty of strength in this squad to, to put out a decent team, um, so hopefully we'll do that and go on a good run. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, make sure you do follow us on all our social media channels. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Watford Podcast, uh, at Watford Podcast on Twitter, uh, and the same on Instagram. Uh, thank you very much, Jason. Laters. Uh, and thank you, Paul. Thank you so much.